In terms of my professional career, I think I've always begun from the point that I'm a human being. Um, I've known distress and disappointment, and we share that. That's part of the human predicament. And growing up um, and getting married and losing our first child and all these knocks of life actually make you very sympathetic to those in distress. And, of course, as a clergy person, um, you know, that's part of the job. People might think we spend most of the time taking services. We don't. Most of the time are with people. And so that's been, it's a huge privilege to enter into the lives of those distressed. And, of course, the principle, the sacramental principle of confidentiality is, for most clergy, the sine qua non of what it is to do the job properly, that you know you shouldn't disclose what somebody has told you in, in confidence, and I've I've sought to honour that all my life. So it begins from your own individual experience of life, the ups and downs of life. And even though I've never been clinically depressed, thank God, I've been with people who have. Faith is a comfort, but it's also a challenge as well because it doesn't. Christ didn't say, come and, you know, lie on your cushion. He said, come, follow me. So you, sometimes, actually, the, some of the difficulties of life, when you know what you have to do and you don't want to follow it through because of the consequences, and sometimes faith has to lead you along that and face up to reality. Some of the most difficult jobs in my life have been when I've been with people trying to actually divert them onto another course when I realized that what they dearly want in life would never come their way. And so you've got to help them and be with them through a really testing period. As I said, um, want to say again, really it, the important thing is your own empathy with people, your compassion for them, your willingness to stand by them. And of course, sometimes it takes a really long time before you're able to help that person through that distress. If you're going to help other people, you've also got to help yourself as well. And that means you've got to um, be in a position where you're constantly learning and reflecting on your own experience. It's often forgotten that rather like Buddhism, Christianity has a huge um, experience of um, meditation and contemplation and so on. And I, I think modern Christians are not using that as much as they should meditating upon themselves, reflecting. You know what Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. That's meditation. That's actually thinking things through. It's spending time. Our lives are so busy, so full of emails and one thing or another. We don't withdraw from the crowd and reflect. And so my spiritual discipline is always daily to reflect on Scripture and where I'm going in very normal honest way and talking to Christian friends and non-Christian friends as well. So that's part of the background to the advice I give to others because I'm not there as a guru who speaks with authority. If I'm alongside somebody, and before this interview began, I bumped across along the corridor a peer who he and I are trying to help a man who is in some considerable distress because he's unemployed very brilliant historian, and we're trying to help him find a field of work. And sitting with him, 
because he feels humiliated that he can't find a job. And it's that kind of human experience that because I've been there, I know what it's like to be rejected, all of us have, you can actually share that experience with someone. You've said that in the past you've studied the overlap, perhaps, between religion and therapy. What did you find were were the similarities and what were the differences, perhaps? Well, if you take um, one particular area of um, psychoanalysis and therapy is the Jungian one, which I particularly um, found useful because Jung himself was a believer. Um, He was someone who realized you have to take spirituality seriously. And so it's that background particularly was helpful to me because whereas Freud rejected religion um, and so on, Jung didn't. Jung realized it's part of human experience. Everyone is in some way religious. doesn't have to be in the normal form. It could be a devotion to music and quietness and that kind of thing, and that becomes part of the therapy. So I saw Jung as explaining to me that the whole of life is deeply spiritual, don't have to dress it up, but you take it into yourself, the beauty of nature, walking along a road even, as I did this morning, Victoria Street, to get to the House of Lords, and thinking, watching people, and reflecting on their lives, and so on. That's part of the, then you bring that into any interviewing, caring situation you face. And what can you do? I mean, I imagine there have been situations where people have come to you saying that they don't find their life worth living anymore when they were really at the very edge. How can you counsel people in that situation? Oh yes, that's happened um, several times in my life and the last one you might say was a total failure. A lovely man called Tom, very bright, youngish, late 30s, early 40s with a young family, devoted wife and killed himself. I couldn't help him because he was determined to do it. So um, you know of those failures, but also you hold on to people and you're there for them because that's the important thing, to be there for them. And it does, sometimes, actually, the closer you get to somebody in distress, it means a lot of time being given to that person. So your your phone line is open for them and you say to them, look, I don't want to, to abuse this, but here's my private telephone number and you give that to them on the basis that you're going to be patient with them and because you matter to them and they matter to you. I think if you go back 20 years we were giving more resources to mental care in the public space. When I was Bishop of um, Bath and Wells I remember my youngest daughter who was a, a nurse practitioner now she even at the age of 15, 16, she wanted to be a mental nurse. So she went along to the, the mental hospital in Wells in Somerset. And it was in that particular period, the government of the day decided that the best way of treating people is to get them in the public area and to care for them there. It's been a policy, a terrible failure. Hasn't worked because the resources are not there. I mean, the idea may have been a very good thing, care for them in their homes and so on. But if we don't give resources and properly trained people to be with them, it's going to fail. It has failed. 
So I, I actually am very worried about the, the present situation. And at the current moment, we're hearing lots of awful stories about the way that people have been treated or neglected, and they take their own lives, or they kill others, you see, and that's desperate, extreme situations. But for the average person who's not going to do that, it's a daily life of depression, lack of care, life is going nowhere, and... Um, Sometimes the wider community doesn't care as much as it should, and the average nurse, doctor, clergy person doesn't have the resources all the time to give to it. So it really is desperate. When it's someone who um, has broken a leg and so on, we know how to care for them. We know how. But when someone is mentally challenged, we're frightened. We're frightened of their behavior that may be extreme and may turn to violence and so on. So we're afraid. And so when someone is ill mentally, we don't naturally go to them and say, can we help, as we would with someone who's got physical problems. We avoid them. And so we create that kind of border of loneliness and, and, and so on, which is a terrible affliction that we, the public, impose on others. It would definitely help if we were more engaged with our communities. We're in clusters, you see. Our immediate circle is the family. Now, in some places, in many circumstances, the family is really strong and holds together and holds that sick person together. But so many families are broken, fragmented, you know, broken divorce families. So there isn't the kind of care that used to be when... My grandparents were alive in the East End of London. We had that very complete family circle with everyone living close. That's all broken. It's all gone. So the, we deepen the areas of loneliness these days. And most communities, I live in a very, very good community. But I think even there, there's so much loneliness going on, the elderly and so on. I think there is some truth in the idea that a very close community can itself be oppressive if it sees itself as complete and we don't need help from elsewhere. And when that happens, actually, you um, create further problems for that person who feels that everyone around him or her is okay except me. And, um, and, and the family may say, you don't need to go and see Dr. So-and-so. You're all right. And what they are really saying, we're embarrassed we don't want to be seen as harboring a sick person. I miss. Pull yourself together. How often we've heard that phrase. Pull yourself together. You can get over this. And the poor person can't do that. So we need an open society. We need walls that actually um, don't divide and separate. We need bridges to cross. We need to help one another. And we have to recognize that we're all vulnerable. And each one of us, actually, at any moment, could face a depression or a breakdown. And um, it hasn't happened to me, but it might. And in the meantime, I've got to travel along uh, as everyone else, as a human being, hoping we can reach out and create bet better communities. So what can be done? Well, I think we actually, all of us, have got to be more sensitive to the needs around us and try to actually befriend people if we have the time to do so. And that's a big if. But I think we, we can do more. And my challenge to um, the churches is that we should, we can do more than we're doing at the present moment. And maybe to put on a circle for those who are lonely, 
most um, churches, communities could do that with some ease, you know. Um, I think there's a huge challenge there for all of us to face up to. First of all, go deeper into yourself because we're all vulnerable. Face up to your own vulnerability and try to deepen your own spiritual side of your life by reflection, by creating space in your life whereby you can really contemplate on, on the wonder of life. Secondly, that then leads into looking around you and seeing what other people need and can you get closer to them. Men particularly find it really difficult to form new relationships. We're content with working relationships, but I think we need to follow the example of most women who are able to create warm relationships almost very quickly. So I think all of us actually can do far more and the challenge is to accept the challenge and do it.